But this morning, I just uh, the word that popped into my head yesterday afternoon was uh, was about being a state of the heart church. That God's calling us to be a state of the heart church, not a state of the art church. Although that might be the case, um, probably not um, by the way things are heading. But um, or at least, if we can't be state of the art, we'll be state of the heart. So to be a people that put a high priority and high emphasis on the heart and on heart ministry. And, uh, and I want to just share some things to, um, I guess, give more context as to why we would pursue healthy people with healthy hearts. And as well to, um, I think it's important that we don't get into an understanding that says, oh, well, we do that because that's just kind of, it's particular to this church or this people. Oh, you guys are just really, you know, highly pastoral as a church, and that's why you emphasize the heart. Um, but for me, I feel like the reason why we emphasize the heart and healthy hearts is number one, because it's not a high emphasis in the body of Christ, but it is a high emphasis in the Bible. So I went through last night and I, you know, you type in, which is really handy now with electronic Bibles is you can type in a word and it will give you literally every scripture reference in that translation. So if you have a Bible and you go to the back, there's what's called the concordance and you can look up words there, but it doesn't have every single instance of that word unless you have something like a Strong's concordance, if you've heard of that sort of stuff, which maps out every single word. But most in the back, they just have the main kind of scriptures that would contain that word. But if you do it electronically, you've got, so there's literally, there'd be hundreds of Old Testament, New Testament passages that speak about the heart. And so it's a high priority for God, so it should be a high priority for us. But one of the, uh, the big things for me is because it's not highly emphasized in the body of Christ, and yet it's highly emphasized in the Scripture, then we should, it's important for us to highly emphasize it. But sometimes you need to emphasize something more in order to establish it before it becomes normal in a place. So you need to focus on a particular thing. And I believe that, um, you know, there's a scripture that says that God, he builds the church on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So apostles and prophets lay the foundation for the church. Now, a foundation is something that sets the parameters and, you know, outline of of what is built upon it. Any builders here? Anyone in the construction industry? Yeah, couple, yeah. So you understand if you build a foundation then that really determines what you can build upon that foundation in a safe way. And so we'd say, yeah, well, yes, we agree, apostles and prophets. And so we've got then in the church apostles and prophets, people with an apostolic gifting or a prophetic gifting. But in my perspective or my assessment of things in the state of the church is that we've got people with the title of prophet or the people with the title of apostle or teacher or pastor, but they're not necessarily reflective of the whole nature of Christ. See, the purpose of the fivefold ministry, Ephesians 4.11, that Jesus gave first uh, to the church. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds or pastors and teachers for the building up of the body, for unification, for maturing people. But essentially, the purpose of the fivefold ministry is not to raise up apostles. It's not to raise up prophets. It's not to raise up evangelists. The purpose of the fivefold ministry is to raise up Christ-like people. So if you read the end of that little section of Scripture, it's that they would come into the fullness of Christ. So that we would come into the fullness of Christ, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So I think measure, so the full measurement of the full stature. 
So the measurement, so I'm six foot two. So the measurement would be six two. The stature is my physical body and the fullness is the actual size of me. Okay, measure, stature, fullness, three words that fill. We want it not just to be a portion, not an element, but the fullness of Christ embodied in his church. That's why Jesus came and he made disciples. So a disciple is one who is to become exactly like the one that they are following. If you were a disciple in New Testament times, you understood what it was to be a disciple. Essentially, I'm going to come under the teaching, under, the, under this person, and this is the yoke. Okay, so there's two ways we can translate the understanding of yoke in the scriptures. One is on the shoulders of the oxen. So what they would have on their shoulders is they would pull the plow through the field. Okay, so that's one understanding of the yoke. The other was, the yoke was the teachings of a Jewish rabbi. So when it says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Well, you could take it as, you know, like an oxen plowing the field. But I wonder if, this, if the reference is more to do with his yoke, his teachings, the understandings of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, they're easy. It's actually really simple. Jesus boils it down to the point, well, what's the greatest commandment they ask him? Love God and love people. Simple profound, complicated, hard, but simple to do. So this understanding of being a disciple is to become like the master. So then every single individual in the body of Christ is a disciple of Jesus. So every single one is pursuing the fullness of Christ, coming into his likeness in that way. So the whole of the church should look like Jesus. Does the whole of the church look like Jesus? No. Have you encountered people in the church without judging that maybe don't look a whole lot like Jesus? Yeah, no one here. That's good. Hallelujah. But you may, in your, in your, in your seasons as a follower of Jesus, you may come across people. But it really is. It's a priority. And the reality is that who you are is in your heart. So that's why there's a focus on the heart because it's not about what you say. It's not about what you even think or what you do in your behavior. It's who you are in your heart. So there's a scripture somewhere in my notes and it says, you know, man looks on, it's in, I think it's in 1 Samuel. Um, 1 Samuel 16, and it says, uh, that, you know, the Lord, uh, the Lord's, sees not as man sees man looks on the outward appearance but the lord looks on the heart okay so the lord is concerned about your heart he has a priority for your heart his intention because he doesn't want to be fooling people with your good intentions and your outward appearance but out of that overflow place of the heart now we can we can conform our behavior to match what looks like jesus but it is it's kind of pointless and irrelevant to God. It doesn't please him when you do the right thing, but in your heart there's there's evil or malice or or hatred. Okay, that's just that's just religiosity. God wants to transform your heart and in the transformation of your heart it'll come into a transformation of your behavior. So going back to this thing of apostles and prophets building the foundation, if we don't have true apostolic people and true pastoral people, no sorry, true prophetic people, then we're not going to build the right foundation. And for me, not to, uh, to think negatively, I, I love the church. I love the bride of Christ. Um, but I wonder if we are yet to really come into um, an expression of a truly kingdom church. 
And I mean churches in, you know, multiple churches, the culture of the church being truly kingdom. And I think it started that way and it got distorted over the years, particularly, you know, things like, you know, with Emperor Constantine and making it a, you know, formalized religion. It lost a lot of that, the DNA of what was inherent in the early church. So to be a healthy apostolic person, you need a healthy heart. What's that called? The Elijah kind of call is, is returning the, you know, the hearts to the sons and the sons' hearts back to the fathers. Yeah? And the apostolic, there's an element, a dynamic of the apostolic being, being fathering, spiritual fathering and mothering in that kind of way. So you can't restore a heart. You can't restore two broken hearts. You can restore two healthy hearts. Correct or incorrect? Give me some feedback. Yes, to restore two hearts together, there has to be health in the, in the two. Otherwise, there will be discord in one, which is not bringing them back together. So that it is about even to fulfill that apostolic call, there must be healthy hearts in that way. The prophetic. So Jesus says in the Beatitudes, uh, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And I believe that there's, a, there's obviously a, a function of the prophetic, which is seeing God and declaring what they see. But if you want to see God with purity, then you must have a pure heart. You can be the most spiritually gifted. You can have the greatest anointing in the world. But if you have an impure heart, you will distort the truth of God. Because he uses vessels. He doesn't just come, you know, externally and then kind of bypass through. It filters through the person. So to have true, healthy, pure, beautiful, prophetic ministry, we must have people with pure hearts. And that is, again, what God is most concerned of. The Holy Spirit can release gifts on anybody in an instant like that. You could be going, you could have no prophetic gift, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're prophesying amazing things. Okay? So the Lord is not concerned, and it's not even your priority to chase after the gift or more anointing. Chase after Christ and he will release the anointing upon you. He will, he will increase the gift. That's his responsibility. Your responsibility is your character. Your responsibility is your heart. I was sharing with, um, with Simon and Kath Moore after last Sunday, we went and grabbed lunch before, took them to the airport, but uh, interesting in our conversations. And one of the uh, teachings of the Elijah House prayer ministry is about performance orientation. And this is one where we... Essentially, people learn to perform in order to receive acceptance and their identity and that sort of stuff. So it's prevalent in the world, in our culture. It's even, it's encouraged in our culture. And even within the church, it's very prevalent. So where people are just striving for acceptance, whether it's acceptance from God, acceptance from people, but they're striving out of the wrong, out of a a bad place, okay? And it's costing them. That's why people get burnt out in ministry or people get used and abused by the church is because there's this performance kind of mentality on the church church which is like we've got to do more we've got to outreach more we've got to serve more we've got to do more do more do more and it pushes people beyond their capacity and they burn out but i was saying to simon and Carl, I was saying imagine a church even if you just took just in perth a church with our performance orientation oh, imagine how healthy and free and that's i mean that's one kind of character element that we could focus on but imagine a church without that can you imagine a church where forgiveness was instantaneous. Can you imagine a church where there was no offense because people didn't have offendable hearts? Radical. But it's all to do with heart ministry. It's all to do with the heart. There's enough finance in the church to do great things. 
There's enough people in the church currently to do lots of great things. But I believe that we're not having the impact that the Lord would have us have because the hearts of the people aren't healthy. So we are to be a state of the heart church. You know, the Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out of people is an overflow of that internal reality. There's another scripture that says, you know, guard your heart for out of it flows the issues of life. So I put if the function of the pastoral ministry is about creating healthy hearted people. And in particular, in relation to the current move of God to reestablish kingdom-focused churches and Christians. Because the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, we must first have true apostles and prophets in order to build rightly on that foundation. So there's something where I feel like we're almost behind the eight ball in, in a sense of what we think we've got lots of good stuff going on and we keep multiplying that which looks good on the outside, okay? But the heart of what's going on isn't good. So we need to as well then restore the hearts of people, bring people into heart wholeness and there will always be stuff to go on. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's not about perfection in that sense, although we're moving towards that place, but it's about having enough heart health that people don't go about destroying the lives of others because of their woundedness and their brokenness. But, um, but that then, so it's almost like we need to stop going and doing all of this stuff. We need to pull back and go, okay, let's get our hearts healthy. Okay, let's raise up, you know, um, wholehearted apostles, wholehearted prophets, wholehearted evangelists, wholehearted teachers, wholehearted pastors. And then once we do that, then we can start building a foundation. Okay, and then once we build a, a healthy foundation on that apostolic and prophetic mindset, then we can start to build the church. But the church has just run ahead and keeps running ahead and running ahead and running ahead and perpetuating the same brokenness with good intentions. I don't believe people are going around with bad intentions. But bad intentions don't mean a lot in the kingdom of God. Good intentions don't, you know, they don't mean a lot. Because you can think that you're doing a good thing, but you actually do end up doing a bad thing because you're doing it out of the wrong heart. So it doesn't produce the fruit. The Lord is not on it. I thought I would draw. I was thinking last night, laying in bed, just about how people, how their kind of heart functions with the mind in that process. And I'll, I'll do my best to draw. Um, this is my man. Buttocks. We'll, we'll leave that out. Yep. <laughs> He's got buttocks. That's as, that's as anatomically correct as it's going to get this morning. So we've got essentially the, the heart of a person here. And then up here is their mind, their thought kind of processes. You know what I found, interestingly? I've never come across these scriptures before. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll just read this one. Matthew twelve thirty three: Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Uh, this is Jesus talking to some Pharisees, I think. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure, where your heart is, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You know that scripture? 
The good person out of his good treasure or his good heart brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for, the, for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified. By your words, you'll be condemned. So he's talking about a healthy tree produces healthy fruit. Yep. I understand that. Cool. Um, where is it? Second Corinthians one twenty two, it says, "And who also has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee." Galatians four six, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, "Abba, Father." So the Spirit of God dwells in our heart. I always thought, you know, we always try and figure out how does it all work together? Where is Holy Spirit in me and where's my spirit and where? And I'm not trying to say it's easy to figure out. But the reality is that the Spirit of God dwells in your heart. So his desire, he's right there wanting to produce good, healthy heart for you. The availability is right there. But I was thinking about sometimes, so this is the person and... Um, and someone does something that they don't like. And so it stirs something in their heart. Okay? And I, I was even thinking about different, you know, not to be classist, but different classes of people often operate differently. Okay? So somebody who is more, maybe more upper class and proper, you know, they won't necessarily lash out in a way that someone who is more kind of working class. I like working class people. Not that I don't like upper class people, but I like working class people because they just tell you what they think. You know, there's kind of no hiding that, you know, in, in that way. Does that make sense? I'm not, I'm not being offensive, am I? If you're, if you're offended, come and talk to me later and we'll deal with the offense in your heart. <laughs> um, so for some people, but it's essentially someone does something to them and it stirs up something in their heart, there's an area of brokenness or woundedness or sin or whatever it is. Every sin that exists on, the, on that somebody does is a result of a broken, wounded heart. Yes, sin dwells in the heart in that kind of way. Every person who is addicted is addicted because of a wound that they're trying to fill. Yeah, all brokenness comes out of that place. And so somebody does something and it stirs something up and then it comes up and it... Psh, Shoots out, okay? So without kind of really thinking about it, it might just, it sparks something and it makes them angry and then bro, they let out a tirade of, of language, inappropriate language um, that comes out. And so now the brain, the mind is thinking about what's going on, but the mind justifies the heart by saying, well, um, you know, well, they, they made me angry or because they said that thing, it, it, it made me do this. So they project the blame for what's going on on the other person. Okay, so they say they did this and I rightly responded and maybe, or maybe I went over the top, but they shouldn't have done that. They made me angry. They said that thing and that caused me to do something. So essentially my unrighteous behavior is only because of their unrighteous behavior. Okay, so it puts the responsibility of your heart onto the other person, which is a very dangerous thing to do because you're, you're giving away responsibility. When we say that person offended me or that person made me angry, the, the reality is that nobody can determine the response of your heart. You know, when someone says, oh, I lost my temper, you, didn't, you, didn't, you don't lose your temper, you find it. Because it's in here. 
That's where your temper lies. And when someone does something, oh, I found my temper today, and it came out at that person. So it's, it's something, it's all of these things are residing in our hearts, but we often have some sort of, some measure of disconnection between our thought life and what's really going on in our heart, okay? So that's one way sometimes, and it just kind of comes out and the justification is on, put on to the other person, okay? Which is a, a falsity, no one can make you do anything. No one can make you feel anything, okay? Because the reality is, I could be standing here, Amy could be standing here, someone could say something, Okay, and I, I'm like, oh, it doesn't bother me, and she could get highly offended. Well, what's the difference there? Well, it's what's in our heart and how it responded to what was said. Okay, the other the other way, which is you know sometimes more people who are maybe you know the good good Christians. So someone will do something, it'll stir that very same thing in their heart. Okay, but as it starts to bubble up and come up, then the brain interacts and says, no, but you you shouldn't get angry. It's not right to get angry. It's not right to have unforgiveness. It's not right to do that. It's not right to say bad words. It's not right. So it kind of comes in and, and, and dissipates. So then it kind of comes out in a nice way, still with all the same hard intent of anger and bitterness and hatred and wrath towards the other person. But it comes out, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it can manifest in another way, either through passive aggressiveness or whatever it might be. But there's a way that we make the brokenness in our heart more palatable to, for people because we don't want them to think poorly of us, and so we do that. But both of these are really missing out on what's actually going on in the heart. They miss the heart. They, they, they recognize the fruit of what's coming out of their heart. One person just lets it fly. The other person engages with it and says, oh, no, I've got to, I've got to you know, squash it. You know, I'm thinking it's like a, you know, you've got a, the fruit coming out of your heart is a pear, you know, and it's floating up and it comes up and it's about to come out and you go, nope, pears aren't acceptable. I'll, I'll squash it and mold it, make it an orange because everyone loves oranges and then it, it kind of comes out, you know what I mean? So in that kind of way, but the reality is if we're, if we're disregarding and not coming down to this heart level, if we're not placing an emphasis on this, then this will keep happening, but the heart never changes because we're either justifying our behavior and blaming somebody else for that or we're squashing down how we really, truly feel, and we're just living this kind of false life, and we're putting on a facade, of, of, and we're not showing how we really feel. So the benefit is if we actually let our heart come out, and that's why I like it. If somebody's just like, blah, lets it all out, it's kind of, okay, well, that's your heart coming out right now, okay? Unrestricted, and it's coming out. And now we can sift through and say, okay, that's the fruit of something going on inside of you. And then we can trace back down and say, okay, what, what actually is it that you're feeling in your heart? And you can do that kind of processing with somebody. So it's unhelpful. I think the religious kind of mentality really does, it, it, it's a mental thing that squashes down true heart reality. And it doesn't allow the heart to feel, it doesn't allow the heart to express. It's not real, it's not authentic, and it makes everything palatable for people. So you've got lots of good Christian people who have all this bitterness in their heart. And it does come out. I've seen, you know, I've, I've, been, I've, I've realized I've been in pastoral ministry for about 13 years, um, which is a long time. I'm only 33, by the way. I know I look much younger. Um, but in that time, I've seen people deal with their heart in lots of different ways. And often in the church, um, Yeah, the way that people deal with other people can be through control 
or manipulation or just, you know, removing people or pushing people out or doing all of these sorts of things rather than just actually going face to face and having a conversation and actually talking about the issue. People avoid talking about things and they use other means to bring about the outcome that they want. And it's just, it's destructive for people. You know, in the church, I think often we, you know, we come across wounded people in the church and they're wounded. They've been wounded by the church because you've got an unhealthy person who's in a leadership function and that does a wounding to a person who's not in a leadership function. They get wounded. They leave that church. They come along to another church and then they either get restored in that place or they, get, they use their woundedness to cause more woundedness to other people. And it's this kind of cycle that goes on. If, you, if we have a church full of healthy-hearted people who understand how to resolve conflict, you know, I remember it was a few months ago, I was thinking that um, conflict in a church is not a sign of an unhealthy church. A lack of conflict resolution is a sign of an unhealthy church. Because we're all wounded and our woundedness is going to come up in some ways. And God will probably use somebody else, even in your own church, to expose your woundedness. Okay, And it, it is always for the purpose of God's redemption. Not to blame you, not to shame you, not to do anything like that. But the Lord says, you know, there's something in your heart and I want to heal you. I want to bring you into a greater measure of freedom and wholeness. And so I'm going to use people. And this is the thing, if we don't have covenant with people, then... So uh, I was thinking, um, confrontation without covenant can produce chaos for people. So when we come and we, and we don't have an understanding of, I'm committed to you, okay? And that's when we join. Like, we're big on covenant here because there's something to say, if you don't covenant with a people, something will cause you to leave, and it will be things that actually, if you had made covenant, they wouldn't cause you to leave. Because you're like, no, I'm here and the Lord has brought me here and I'm committed to these people and I'm committed to relationship. So I'd say I'm committed to relationship with Cher. And if Cher does something that wounds me, I can either leave, and that's what you do when you're not in covenant, you leave. You just go somewhere else. Well, I'll go find a church where, where people won't hurt me. Well, good luck with that. Because the problem is you will go everywhere that you go. And you'll take all of your woundedness with you. You can't leave your heart behind. Okay? Now, if you're a healthy-hearted person, then you're going to you receive less wounding. Okay? Because things don't penetrate. Because often, if somebody says something and you get offended, it's because you've got offense in your heart. You've got the ability to be offendable. Okay? Where Jesus didn't. And so as we're coming into the likeness of Jesus, we're becoming less offendable. It's like, you can act like the biggest jerk. That's a... That was, that was a better word than what was coming up in my heart. Um, thank you, thank you for making it palatable. But somebody can, and you can be like, uh, that's, that's your thing. I'm not going to get offended by that. I'm not going to give the control of my heart and my life over to somebody else. I'm going to manage me. And to be... A state-of-the-heart church is to be a responsible church, a church that says, you know what, I'm not concerned about what you're doing, I'm concerned about what's going on in me, okay? I've said, I've said to a few people, but it's like, if you're in a conflict situation and it's 99% their fault and 1% your fault, your responsibility is not the 99 but the 1%. Well, it's, it's, it's majoritively their fault. They're doing the wrong thing, but the way I'm responding 
That's me. And I might be a very small portion, but the only thing I'm responsible for is me. And I need to release them to be responsible for them. And I can help to journey with them or I can point out, hey, I've noticed these things in you. But ultimately, if they don't want to be responsible for their own heart, that's not your problem. Because you don't want them to hand the responsibility of their heart over to you either. And sometimes we do. We try and solve everyone else's problems and we don't let them be responsible for their own heart. And we don't take responsibility for our own heart. We go around often fixing everyone else's hearts, avoiding our own, and then everyone else is fixing everyone else's hearts and they're avoiding their own. And you can't solve, you can't heal hearts that way. The only way it is to come into heart wholeness is to take responsibility for your own heart. So the way, again, to, to, to notice that when these patterns come up in our life, that we've got to get down to the heart level and say, Lord, what is going on in my heart? That scripture, you know, search my heart, O oh God. You know, see if there's exposed any, any uh, wickedness in me, you know, any impurity in my heart. And that's in every, every circumstance. If you feel anxiety or a lack of peace or something going on, you're having conflict or you're feeling like someone's doing this and it's upsetting me, search your heart. Do that first. First protocol, don't blame somebody else. Because what blame does is it shifts, it takes, you know, like something comes up out of your heart and your mind encounters with it. Wow, I'm feeling this way. Okay? If I blame, then I direct that outwardly. Okay? Rather than having an encounter, going back down and then saying, what is going on in my heart? That's the, that's the journey that we must take. First and foremost is what's going on in my heart. God, why am I feeling that way? Why did that upset me so much? Well, maybe it's, oh, actually, Lord, it's because I'm insecure. Why is it, Lord, that I felt like when that person said that, that I needed to promote myself in some way? Why, why did I feel that need to say, oh, no, but you, you need to know who I am? I had, I had an incident just this week and, and I, I noticed it, but someone was talking and they were talking about giftings of people and they're like, oh, but I'm, I'm not really sure, you know, who you are, Brad, in that kind of way. And I'm thinking inside, I'm an apostle, buddy. Don't you know who I am? How could you not see this? And all the time that we spent together, that my apostolic anointing isn't so great that it's overflowing and splashing all over you. You must be like, are you blind? I didn't think any of those things. But it triggered enough in me to go, okay, I feel like I know who I am. This person doesn't know who I am, and that's okay. So I, so I didn't say anything, and I'm glad I didn't say anything. But it's that thing of like it at least, it at least pricks something to go, oh, wow, yeah, like I'm not, yeah, I'm not noticed in that way. And I recognize, I, I feel like God has, has, has a calling on my life and has things for me, but I'm so aware to not promote myself. To not, I don't want people to know who I am unless they want to know who I am. And I don't want to be insecure in a way to say, I need people to know who I am. Now, in that journey of getting to know people, I share my heart. I share what God has, has said to me. I share prophetic words. I share because it's helping them in that process. But I'm not splattering that out all over the place. You know, people call me pastor and I'm like, don't, like you don't need to call me something. I don't need a title. And I'm okay that people do it. But it's like, I don't, I don't need people to, to call me something. I don't need to be recognized in that way. And most of all, what I want to be recognized is being like Jesus. There's been a couple of times where, where people have said to me, you know, out of, out of people that they've known, you know, that just the way that I've represented Jesus to them. 
And these are people who have been uh, you know, offended with me at different times. But it's like, that's, oh, yes, Lord, that's what I want. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be known as anything else except some, somebody who reflects the nature of Jesus. What, what else would there be to be that would be of any significance? I think another element of being a state of the heart church is about uh, being a, a being church and not a doing church. And the church is so, you know, the, the church at White is so intent on doing and building and growing. And, and I was even thinking when it comes to covenant relationships is that often people, I know a, a story just more recently of someone in a, you know, a very big church, you know, multi-campus international church, and they invited somebody to come in to, to be on staff with their church. But in that process, you know, the leadership of the church started putting all of these boundaries on this person and saying, okay, well, you can't do that anymore and you've got to, you know, you're not allowed to do this anymore and you have to do this and you have to, you know, you have to shut down your personal ministry because you're part of our ministry. You, you know, you're not allowed to do that. You have to be called this and all of this sort of thing to the point where the person kind of pushed back and said, I don't want to be part of that. But there's something you see where um, when we build on covenant relationship, then we, then we build on trust. And we don't need to put all of these kind of boundaries and, and walls around people to try and control them, to not let them step out of line. You know, that's kind of how a lot of the kind of legal system works, you know. And, and in churches, and I understand there's good, it's good to have insurance and, and all of these sorts of things, but often we have all of these protective functions because we're actually not willing to get to know people and create a culture of covenant relationship. But we go, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stuff up, but I'm, I'm committed to you. And you're, and you're committed to me. And if there's covenant in relationship, you can go through the worst of times and the greatest of conflict and you can still remain together. I've got a, I've got a friend who, and man, I've not been wounded by anyone as much as this person. Like, and I'm not saying it was all their fault, and, but it's just like I was wounded, wounded, wounded. Um, and they are a close friend because God has restored the relationship because there's something deeper in covenant that allows you to stay connected even through the worst of trials. You know, as a, as a leadership team uh, with, with Amy and Rachel and Lisa and myself, it's like, man, we've been through some hard times. <laughs> but there's covenant there. There's like, well, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere, so let's nut this thing out, you know? Let's do this journey. Let's, uh, let's see it through to the end. But to be a doing, a being church, it means that we're content to just be and we're not trying to push out and push out and push out. You know, I know as a church, we could do more evangelism. Absolutely. But I want to evangelize like Jesus and I want healthy hearted people. And we're just, I'm just content to be in the season that we're in. I feel like we should be a massive church because we're just so awesome. I love, I love the people in this community. I'm like, these are good people. This, this, you know, but I'm like, but this is, I'm, I, I don't even think about it anymore. Because we're doing what the Lord has called us to do. And we're building people that look like Jesus. I'm like, what, what greater thing, what, you know, what greater purpose is there? Now, I'm sure there'll be times when the Lord will do more evangelists and there'll be more outreach. But we're not trying to push and make something happen just so that we look good on the outside. Or we're ticking boxes. I'm just content to be. And I believe that in my being, the Lord will do far more. I leave the doing up to God and, I'll leave, and the being will be up to me. 
You know, in John, it talks about abiding in the vine. Just abide in me, rest in me, lean into me, and I'll, I'll produce the fruit. I felt like God said the other, the other week that my responsibility is faithfulness and his responsibility is fruitfulness. My job is to be faithful to him and he'll produce the fruit in my life in the season that he wants to produce it in. He'll open the doors that need to be opened. But we're going to pursue what the Lord has called us to pursue, which is being like Jesus. And out of that place, we're going to produce something that's beautiful and amazing and actually reflects who he is. Not just a, like a statue, a monument to Jesus, but the literal embodiment of his nature. We've got a, we've, we're just finishing off some things on our new website that we're putting together. Um, but kind of the, the vision line that came to me um, when we're kind of discussing things about who, who we are. Um, so as a church, we exist to live in the love of God and to see the embodiment of Christ in every person the manifestation of God's kingdom and glory in every nation. As a church, we exist to live in the love of God and to see the embodiment of Christ in every person, the manifestation of his kingdom in every nation. Amen? I'm just going to read to you, this is our, our kind of heart statement. Our heart is to raise a company of consecrated worshippers who seek to minister to God with their lives, growing in their love for him and yielding to his love for them and pursuing the heart of God on a journey of deepening intimacy with their Heavenly Father. We love the Bride of Christ and seek to not only build a healthy local church, but also in, to impact the wider church in our city and beyond. Our desire is to see the body of Christ built up and come to a place of maturity and unity in the fullness of Christ. We seek to accomplish this by using the fivefold ministry gifts that Jesus gave to the church in apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip and release people into the purpose and plans that God has for their life. We value the hearts of people because that is where God's work of freedom and restoration begins. Without transformed hearts, we will not see transformed people. We want to see people discover their identity and be released into their destiny. As a community of disciples, we seek to evangelize the unbelieving parts of people's hearts to bring them into true freedom and a genuine reflection of the nature and glory of God. And we believe that the most effective and biblical context to live out all of these values is within a spiritual family of mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters. We seek to share our ordinary lives together in everyday community in order to grow as disciples of Jesus and reveal the reality of Christ and his kingdom to the world. Amen. I could have just read that as a sermon. But I just want to encourage you that, you know, as, as we're going along on this journey, you know, the reason why we, uh, we invest into things like a larger house prayer ministry, you know, I don't think prayer ministry is the answer to everyone's problems or all the church's problems. Um, but I do believe it's almost like, it's like raising up emergency room, you know, kind of triage nurses and doctors because of the state of the hearts of the, uh, in the church at the moment. So much brokenness in the body of Christ. And how are we going to transform the hearts and disciple nations if the, if the body of Christ is in chaos? 
So I believe that part of, uh, of our calling is to, is to be part of the raising up of people who can go in as, you know, like in the triage uh, and the emergency department of the hospital to, to restore healthy people. But beyond that, we want to see a culture created right across the body of Christ where there's a value for the heart, a value for healthy hearts, where people are coming into healing and wholeness and restoration. So they can truly, not in the external, but the internal, reflect the very nature of Christ to embody his very presence in us. You know, the presence of God upon you is secondary to the presence of God in you. And I believe, I remember last year, I felt like God said to me, you know, there's... The gifts of the Spirit can be released upon anyone, but I believe His glory will rest upon those who pursue His righteousness that actually look like Him because the glory is drawn to Him. Yeah, the glory belongs to Him alone. So the more of, of Him in you, the more it's going to draw the glory of God to be upon you. And some people go all around seeking the glory, seeking the manifestation, but it's like, Seek Him. Become a glory carrier. The, the Bible says that you'll go from glory to glory. And I believe that's more. You'll go from being like Jesus to being more like Jesus to being more like Jesus. And as you do so, it'll be natural to draw the reality of heaven to rest in you and upon you in greater measure. All right, let me pray for you, if you don't mind. <laughs> thank you, Father. I just thank you, Lord, for the freedom that comes as we, as we come into greater heart health, Lord. And Father, it is a supernatural and spiritual reality, Father, of, of heart ministry, God, that the heart is not disconnected from the Spirit, Lord, but they are one. They are connected, Father. And so, Lord, we cannot be healthy spiritual people unless we're healthy heart people, Lord. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to, to raise up people, Lord, that can be a blessing to this city, Lord, to your church, God. Father, we don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to put down churches, Lord. We want to see health in your body, God. We want to see every single church, Father, operating with healthy-hearted people, Lord, that it can be people who are emotionally and spiritually healthy, Father so that they produce life and not destruction, Lord, that they produce cohesion and not division, Father. Lord, that people would carry your heart, Lord. And Father, even in the scriptures I read last night, that reveals that you have a heart, God. That you have a heart, Lord. And Father, our heart, we want our hearts to re reflect your heart, Lord. Even the song we sang this morning, Lord, bind our hearts to your heart, O God. Bind our will to your will, Father. Bind our desires to your desires, God. That we might come into oneness with you, Father, which is the promise of Jesus in your word. Father, we want that, God. Lord, that we would not be a people who would strive to become like Jesus, Lord, but we would rest in that, we'd be healed and whole, and we'd naturally just become more like Him. We want to become more like You, Jesus. Not in the external, Lord, but the internal, Father. And we want to be a people that would rely on the manifestation of our internal reality, Lord, rather than the performance and, and, and you know, molding of our external reality, Father. So I just pray, Father, you will continue to release a grace upon us, Lord, to do the heart journey, to take responsibility for our own brokenness and woundedness, Lord, to stop blaming others, Father, for the state of our own hearts. And Lord, we would be a state of the heart church, Father, that would be concerned about the state of our hearts, Lord. 
Even as not just in the bad areas, but even as we pursue the good, Lord, we would, we would not pursue good intentions, Father, without making sure that our heart has good intentions in it, Father. We don't want to do good Christian things and just be good Christian people, but our hearts to be far from you, Lord. Because that's not the aroma that you want to have wafting up to heaven, Lord. And Father, I do pray, Lord, you will help us to raise up healthy people, Lord, to be a blessing to your church, Lord, to be a blessing to this city, to to bring healing, Father, to the hearts of the wounded and the broken, Lord. And Father, not just in the body of Christ, Lord, but right across the cities that we live in, the suburbs, Lord, our neighbors, Father, the Lord, that we would not look upon people with judgment because of the fruit of their brokenness, Lord. But, Father, we would start to see, as you see, Lord, beyond uh, that veil of, of, of nicety, Lord, or beyond that veil of foulness, Lord, whatever it might be, whatever people would be projecting, Father, would see beyond that into the hearts of people and would say, this is a wounded person. This is a person with a broken heart. This is a person that the Lord is desiring to come in and bring healing. And as hearts are made whole, Father, people are made whole. As people are made whole, families are made whole. Neighborhoods are made whole. Churches are made whole. Cities are made whole. Nations are made whole, Father. So we thank you, Lord, for the transformative work that you're bringing about, Lord. And Father, we just want to abide in your work, Lord. And use us, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you. Amen.